Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tomac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Bonjour et bienvenue, welcome along to the Ligue 1 podcast, also known as Le Bourgeois. Coming up, PSG and Neymar break Bordeaux's resistance. Nice and Lille cancel each other out while the crisis deepens in Lyon ahead of the derby. And Marseille can only draw at home against Rennes. We've got uh, another good panel today. We've got a bit of uh, bit of French input because we feel we don't have enough French input. So uh, alongside me, it's uh, bonjour to the journalist and author Joachim Barbier. How are you, Joachim? Very good. <laughs> Joachim works for the excellent magazine Sofoot, which uh, if you uh, are in France, if you want to practice your French, is well worth a buy. Um, sitting opposite me in his own flat, because we've moved the recording studio to David Crossan's flat. Thank you for having us, Dave. Pleasure. Welcome along, everyone. He's got a fantastic, uh, fantastic place. We can just about see the Eiffel Tower from where from where Dave's uh, flat is. Very good location. Andy Scott's had a bit of trouble getting here this morning. How are you, Andy? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit raging, to be honest. I was quite excited about this uh, this Monday because we're actually recording in what I would term as civilization rather than... <laughs> Robbie Thompson's uh, apartment in Boulogne Biancourt, but the metro got the better of me, so we're all we're all a bit late, and it's all my fault. It's been tough. It's been tough for quite a few people. I won't get into my story about the RERC being uh... my commute was really bad as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the football. We're we're, we're going to start with Paris Saint Germain for the first time since April. We saw Neymar and Mbappe on the same football pitch together. Mbappe actually came on as a sub. He played half an hour and it was nil-nil when he came on, but uh, things improved for PSG after that. And uh, this is what happened with uh, myself, Matt Spiro, commentating. They've given it away and they're in real trouble here. Mbappe, he's got Neymar in the middle. There it is. Paris Saint-Germain have got the goal. Mbappe and Neymar back on the same pitch for the first time in five months and combining... For the opening goal. So he finished 1-0 to PSG, but if truth be told, that was quite a flattering scoreline for Bordeaux, who basically defended, got numbers behind the ball, didn't really pose any threat. And while they did manage to to, to keep the game at 0-0 for a long time, when Mbappe came on, you could you could sort of see in the eyes of, of certain players, including Pablo, the Bordeaux uh, centre-back, who was thinking, oh my goodness, I've just about resisted against Neymar and... Uh, and Di Maria and Sarabia, but uh, a fresh Mbappe came on and he absolutely destroyed Bordeaux. He set up Neymar. Costil made quite a few saves to deny Kylian Mbappe. Um, Andy, we'll go to you first. Good news, obviously, for Paris Saint-Germain to have Mbappe back. Um, only a 1-0 scoreline, but uh, given that they lost at home against Reims on uh, on Wednesday night, the important thing was to, was to get the win, wasn't it, on uh, on when was it? Saturday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I mean, um, I, I, I was at the Rance game at the Parc des Princes uh, last Wednesday and obviously they were very poor in that match. Um, Thomas Tuchel made a lot of changes, but the, the key thing here, as you say, was was having Mbappe available again and, and just able to, to put him on for the final um, 30 minutes or so of that game and just um, frighten the life out of the Bordeaux defence. Um, you know, there clearly are a lot of things that are still not quite right about PSG. I think we're going to come on shortly to one of Kylian Mbappe's comments after the match about the way in which PSG maybe don't quite frighten teams uh, that, in the way they perhaps did a year ago. But, you know, there's still 
grinding out results to an extent, and, and it's enough for them to be on top of the table. And in the Champions League, obviously, the, the, that was the best performance of the season thus far. So, you know, in, in some respects, the, it, things things aren't going too badly for them. But clearly, there there's a lot of room for improvement. And when Mbappe is back to full fitness and Cavani, if he ever comes back again, then I think they really will be frightening teams once again. Well, it's interesting you say that, Andy. I feel that Mbappe at the moment, um, he, he kind of feels this need to make, I don't know, comments. I, I, I watched the game and PSG were really good. And they, they you know, they should have well, won. Well, you were five. commentating. They so should have won. <laughs> I watched it and commentated. <laughs> and Mbappe came out and, you know, instead of just saying, yeah, it was good. I'm really happy to be out there. He said, PSG don't scare teams like they did before. And I just thought, you know, I, I feel like, I don't know, we, we heard from him at the end of last season saying, I want more responsibility in this. And I, I don't know what you think, Joachim, but, you know, this is a guy, he's still only 20 years of age and he clearly wants to be a, a leader as well as just, uh, you know, the, the star striker. Um, he was brilliant when he came on, but is he just doing too much in terms of, I don't know, first of all, his communication? What is the question? <laughs> I, I don't know. M- yeah, it's it maybe a, a tricky question. M- Mbappe, fantastic player, fantastic talent. Yeah. But um, I, I just sometimes feel he's not being completely natural. One as a player, yeah. when he's just trying to do lots of fancy Neymar flicks and stuff. And also when he talks in it, because that, that comment after the game I thought was unnecessary and it surprised me a bit. Yeah, it was just an explanation uh, uh, for because it was, it, it was hard. You know, they could have scored more goals, but, you know, it's... Uh, it's not like last season when, you know, they score early in the game and then, you know, banging goals like four, five, six. It doesn't happen uh, so far. It didn't happen so far. But I think that um, um, PSG, uh, from, especially they had the issues in the midfield. And now with Gay, Verratti and Marquinhos, it seems like everybody knows what they have to do. Like the roles are, are quite clear. It wasn't the case uh, last year. On top of that, now of course, what you say, what you were saying, Cavani was not playing. Uh, we're still waiting for Icardi, but I think that when the three uh, gonna play all together, it, it's gonna but be you, it's gonna it's gonna be something. But can we talk about a three when you consider that Di Maria is is you know has probably been PSG's most consistent attacker for the last sort of six months, going you know mm. last season and this. You know, yeah, so, so surely he's got he's got to find a place for Di Maria. He's got that midfield three that Thomas Tuchel said. Yeah. I never want to change that three. Uh, if you know, if I can keep Marquinhos, Verratti, and Gay, I will. What's he going to do when Cavani is back? And that mm. should happen soon, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but I think that is a, it's going to be a, a, um, they, you know they have to, to to he has to watch the games and see what's going to happen. They're probably different. There's different options, and especially Icardi and Cavani were totally different players. So uh, he's going to see. For, I, mean, I think that so far, I don't think that he knows exactly, you know, but he's going to try because um, Icardi is a very different player than Cavani. So, uh, you know, they have to stick together. But so far, I think it doesn't have a. It's a idea. nice problem to have, isn't it? And yeah. it means that if he needs to change a game, if things aren't going so well for once, he'll be able to turn to the bench and he's got attacking options in depth rather than looking over there and seeing Eric Maxim Chupo Moting or a youngster and thinking they're the people I'm going to have to bring on to turn the game. Uh, I'm actually not offended at all by Mbappe's comments. Um, seven I, losses. I wasn't offended. I just thought it was unnecessary. No, I, don't, I think it's totally fair. I, um, even if Bordeaux played as if they were scared of Paris Saint-Germain, they barely got over the halfway line. But 
Paris Saint-Germain have lost seven league games in 2019. And the last time this happened was in 2011. And some of those losses were before the Qatari takeover in that summer. So yes, just based on the results and the way they've performed this year, teams shouldn't be as scared of them. Although, as uh, Joachim says, when the full squad is available, I'd be pretty scared of that lineup. Sorry, sorry, no, can I just make, just, I think because we obviously haven't, haven't done a podcast since the, the game's last midweek as well, and it's just worth emphasising what Dave's saying there. I mean, that defeat against Rance was the first time they'd lost a home game, I think people know this by now, uh, without the league title already having been won in nearly seven years. So there's a, there is a clear um, argument to make that, that you know, they don't frighten teams in quite the same way because Rance did a job on them. They were, they, you know, they were, they were very well organised and they, and, and they, they went to the Parc des Princes and won that game. But it was a, uh, it was a game in which Thomas Tuchel heavily rotated his squad and it did kind of highlight some of the potential weaknesses there. Um, you know, certain players who maybe we're not going to see too much of this season. But when they have that first strength team with full strength team out, the first choice 11, especially the midfield three that you mentioned, I mean, Idrissa Gay played a role again in the goal on Saturday, didn't he? Winning the ball back. In midfield, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, before before yeah, um, well, Pablo sort of lost it. But, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, perhaps. But but Gaze, obviously, we know the impact he's had on that team, and um, you know, the, it's it's it, yes, it's difficult for them to maintain the standards that they set themselves in the last few seasons. It, practically going, you know, six months without losing a league game, and 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 they've kind of set those standards for themselves, but. You know, there's still incredible potential in that team, and they yeah. will they will get better. Yeah, and I'm going to stick to my guns and say just because they lost one home game, the first home game in, in the Thomas Tuchel era that, that they've lost in the league. You know, I thought they scared Real Madrid actually quite a lot at, at the Parc des Princes. So maybe they're not scaring Rouse, but they're 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 a phenomenal side. Um, they're they're two points clear by the way at the top now. Angers could only draw one one with uh, with Amiens. Um, but Joachim, I I want to bring you back in on a more general point here because. Outside of France, a lot of people look at Ligue 1 and think, well, Paris Saint-Germain are just too strong for, for the rest of the league. That does seem to be the case at the moment. But in terms of Ligue 1, in terms of, of French football, is it is it a problem? Is it a positive to have this, this superpower with so many phenomenal players? Um, we're going to talk a bit later about Lyon and about Marseille. And perhaps the problem right now is more that the, you know, the other teams aren't, aren't pushing them. But... You know, for, for Ligue 1 to have a team that's beating Real Madrid 3-0, it has to be a good thing. How, how do you look at it? Um, yeah, but for, so far, you know, the, there's the only, we only had the one Champions League game, but we, we can see that it was a totally different Paris Saint-Germain with uh, playing Real Madrid and playing the, the Ligue 1 team, probably because the attitude of Real Madrid was different. You know, they were not so defensive, they tried to play, so there was more space for... Uh, uh, for Paris, uh, I don't think that the problem is um, the budget or the money for Paris Saint Germain. Is the the, the the issues are more with the uh, the other teams, Lyon and Marseille. You know they have uh, enough money to have a proper or to have a decent team. You know when, for example, you compare with Ajax, with you know the way they play with whichever equivalent of ninety millions um, uh, euros. Uh, Lyon probably got something like 250 or 300, uh, Marseille, Monaco between 100 and 200. So it's more, much more about um, what the others are doing, the management, coaches, what are the objective. And so, because I remember the last very good season we have in League One was when Monaco was champion because there were three or four teams that were playing good football. Monaco was playing well, Paris, even they were not champion, they were playing well, Lyon as they were 
described they were a funny team. You know, said so sometimes they had some uh, weak, weakness, but sometimes there was, you know, when they play, for example, Manchester City, it was, it was just a funny football. They're very, very unpredictable. So you had the, when you had season like that, you know, it's very, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. The problem is more um, continuity. You know, it's like uh, in France, most of the time, like uh, uh, you have coaches, they stay like for two years and they fail, and then it's another one. Mm. And uh, you have to rebuild everything. The, some players were sold. It, it's like it, it seems like a, every two years it's a, a cycle, and they have to start from scratch zero. So you you don't really see maybe Angers. Maybe we're going to speak about it uh, uh, later. But there's some continuity. There's the right person at the right place with the coach, with the sports director, with the president. Everybody, everybody does what he's supposed to do. You know, there's no interference, interference, oh la la, interferences. Sorry. So maybe it's, a, it's an example for uh, you know mid-table clubs with a, a quite small budget. Yeah, it's interesting. And you look at you know Marseille and Lyon are starting new eras, aren't they? With with new coaches, and and it is going to take time. It is going to take time, and I think the, as we said on the podcast last week, for me the most disappointing thing of the entire season so far was the way Silvino set up his team at home to Paris Saint Germain. Lyon should be taking on Paris Saint-Germain, particularly given that they'd already lost six league games this calendar year, and they didn't. And oh, it yep. is down to, as Joachim says, to the other coaches to get their teams playing properly. I think Marseille's a different case. We might talk more about them later because they've got a thin squad, and that was shown again last night against Rennes. Um, in terms of continuity, and Thierry Loré at Strasbourg is now Strasbourg's longest ever serving coach. He's gone past a 1,000 days. He's done even longer than Gilbert Gress, who uh, won their only league and title at the end of the 1970s. So it is important to give uh, coaches time, but it's also very difficult to retain the players because those 50 million euro offers come in from the Premier League or from La Liga and they're very hard to resist. Yeah, that's why Ajax has to be the example or before we talked about, about Dortmund and nobody nobody's quite managed to do that yet. But we touched on, uh, on Leon. And just to finish on the Kylian Mbappe point, because I really want to prove myself right, um, you said that Leon just sat back against PSG. Bordeaux did exactly the same. Does that not suggest that they are scared of, of Paris? Anyway, anyway, I've, I've got my final word in. Leon were at home against Nantes. They were under considerable pressure, having only drawn with Brest in, uh, in midweek. And Robbie Thompson commentated the game at the Group Armour Stadium. There's uh, Mutu Sami. Gets the better. Oh, and it's going to be in, surely. Goal for Nantes, Mutu Sami. And Leon, I think, have given Nantes a big helping hand here to open the scoring. Leon nil, Nantes won a slightly uh, comical freak goal uh, that, that enabled Nantes to get the victory that incredibly took them top briefly before Paris Saint-Germain played later, later that day. But it's now six matches without a win for Leon. Um, the crisis has hit in here at the Group Armour Stadium. Uh, Janino has been accused of being too silent. He gave an interview to club television just before the game. He came out and talked to, to journalists after the game. Didn't really defend Silvino. Said that uh, he expects the president, Jean-Michel Olas, to make the necessary decisions and that he's the man who still runs the club. Um, Janino, of course, has come in as the sporting director. The, the feeling is that... Uh, Jean-Michel Olas is releasing a little bit of power. Well, that was the plan anyway. He wanted Janino to be the man who, who steps up to the plate, steps up to the media. Janino has brought in Silvino. They're both novices in their new roles. And at, at the moment, 
it is uh, it's looking like a bad decision and there is a lot of concern with the derby against Saint-Étienne coming up against this weekend um, and feelings that perhaps Silvino is is in the last chance saloon already. Well, this this kind of um, underlines the extent to which you, you can never sort of rush to conclusions because, you know, we were, we were talking them up as potential title contenders after they won their first two matches. Obviously, they put six goals past an Angers team who've been very good this season. And since then, nothing has gone right for them. I think... Uh, you know the the approach of Silvino needs to be questioned, and the the approach of the club in general needs to be uh, questioned because it was always going to be a risk to give the job to to Silvino, who's you know an outsider, not used to the French culture, and obviously not uh, tested as a as a coach at the highest level yet. So the road was always likely to be a little bit rocky for them. Um, I don't think anybody expected things to go quite as badly as they have, but you know it's it's still. I mean, it's talk about a crisis, but you know they have. Let's maybe just wait and see what happens in the next week because they have this very difficult Champions League game against uh, Leipzig and then they play Saint-Étienne team who, who, who are also in crisis. And, and, you know, who knows, maybe a week from now the, the outlook will be a little bit rosier. But certainly it's not the start to the season that any of us expected for the club who are the best, you know, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of everything that's in place. You know, the, the, they have the potential like nobody else in France to challenge Paris Saint-Germain. And that is what is really disappointing about the way they've started this season, that they're already probably too far off the pace. I'd be very worried if I was Silvino uh, reading the interview that Jean-Michel Olas gave to L'Equipe published today. The last line of it says Silvino has the desire to succeed and he will succeed whether it's at Lyon or elsewhere. And for a novice coach reading that and Silvino's already said he's admitted that Lyon are in crisis, which they are. Uh, Saturday was a freak game. The goal was a freak and uh, Albon Lafon made so many good saves to keep Lyon out, uh, the likes of Depay and others. Um, but they lost the game and the results aren't there. Uh, Olas, I think, was already wary about handing over power because he was burnt by what happened when he appointed Claude Puel and gave Puel enhanced powers compared to the previous coaches. And that was the end of their sequence of winning seven straight league and titles. They didn't win a trophy again until Remy Gard won the cup in 2012. This time around, he's gone for Juninho, who he describes as the club's greatest ever player. I think most people would agree with that. Uh, but the way things are shaping up, he says Juninho as sporting director has maybe been a bit too much in the back seat in terms of the tactics as well because he wants to give Silvino his chance. And reading between the lines of that, I wouldn't be that surprised if Juninho ends up on the bench at some point this season. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I wonder, Joachim, because it is a bit of a revolution at Lyon that they're a foreign coach coming in, the, the, the sporting director taking power away from, from Olas. But I wonder if they've been guilty of not actually going the whole hog because the fact that they've kept Bruno Genesio's staff in, there are guys who, who have been part of the, uh, the furniture, if you like, at, at, at Lyon for quite a few years. So are they um, united behind Silvino? Suggestions that a lot of them are still you know, very much Genesio disciples and they would have preferred somebody in-house as Leon have, have often done. Um, I don't know how you how you see the situation. Is it, you know, Olas usually gives his coaches time. Does he have to, does, does he have to stick with this plan for, yeah, for think, a season at yeah, least? Yeah, I think so because, uh, you know, they, it's, they try to change everything. It's what he said, you know, uh, with different organisation and... Uh, 
Olas admit that he want to you know a bit uh, take some distance and uh, from the from the club on a daily basis. That's why they, he hired Junino. He chose Junino, who chose uh, Silvino. So it's like a, a couple, you know, for the good, for the worst. It's very. It would be very hard to admit that you know it was wrong. It was a. It was not the right decision. And I think that don't forget that uh, Juninho in his role is new. He learns. You know, he's never been a sports director, you know. And it's the same with Silvino. Silvino only been an, an assistant. So I think he, he, what is funny is that after the, I, I think the Angers was the second game. It looked like everybody understood exactly how Silvino wanted the team to play. Everybody was happy. And suddenly it all fell apart. It all collapsed. And so they're probably a human issues I mean, they mention of this uh, yeah. of this problem we don't know so far you know but uh, i think that there there must be uh, something i think that if you look at the the first game of the season for example Toussaint, you know he was not supposed to play they were looking for a, a more technical uh, defensive player and then he played and he gave some stability to the team and then he was back on the bench it was the same with Awar. so i think that the, maybe the human you know, management of the yeah. team who's playing. Well, he's who's left playing. There, there are games he's left out. Our yeah. there are games he's left out. Then Bele, yeah, so and that's caused problems. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah. People it's, have... uh, it's hard to understand the, the logic behind. And there's that. still the language barrier that he needs uh, his words translated by Claudio Casapa, the the former Leon defender, his fellow Brazilian, because he's excellent in English. He gives a lot of post-match interviews in English, but his French is still a work in progress, Silvino. So that does make communication hard, and he doesn't have the aura that. Uh, big name foreign coaches have when they come in and they're trying to learn the language. Just a, a reminder that you're listening to uh, David Crossan on Le Bourgeois, Andy Scott, Joachim Barbier and me, Matt Spiro. It's an interactive podcast. You can uh, contact us, email us at uh, leagueandpodcast at gmail.com um, or you can uh, get us on Twitter on, with the hashtag Le Bourgeois. Andy, just to, um, to move this on a little bit, yeah. we know coming up this Sunday there's a huge derby, Leon against Saint-Etienne is a, a wonderful fixture. It's probably the, the biggest uh, regional, local derby, local rivalry that there is in France. Uh, Saint-Étienne have also been in crisis. They managed to get a 1-0 victory away to Nîmes, which was a big result for the under-fire Gislain Printemps. Reports that Printemps is going to be sacked anyway and that Claude Puel is, is being lined up. Do you feel that the derby um, you know, could spell the end for, for one of the two coaches? It, it often happens given the you know the importance for the fans of, uh, of this fixture yeah well I mean it's you know I mean in some respects we obviously run the risk of being made to look like fools because we're, we're sitting here now on Monday morning we don't know what's going to happen between now and, and the weekend and I think reading between the lines of what Gislain Pranton was saying after the game yesterday there's there's every chance that he'll be gone before before the Lyon game anyway um, now you know is obviously they got that win yesterday. They they were it was maybe they got finally they got some breaks. They got the result in a tough game away against Nîmes, and that may buy Pranton some time. But you know Saint Etienne are quite a confusing club. I mean, obviously they have two presidents, um, both of whom have their own agendas, and and the two of them uh, seem to be going for different men. It seems to be the case that they have both decided, even if they want, you know, one of them wants to bring back Jean Louis Gasset and one of them wants to bring in Claude Puel. Um, it would appear that they've both abandoned Gislain Pranton. So regardless of the result this weekend, even if he is still there, it, Pranton probably will not last too much longer. Now, I would say that bringing back Gasset, you know, it's always a risk to come back, but Gasset was clearly so vital to their success last season. If it's Claude Puel, well, you can't really argue with Claude Puel's track record. 
a man who's, who's had wonderful success at team building at, at several different clubs and, and did pretty well latterly in England. But Gislain Pranton was always uh, a, a strange choice for me, a, a, a bit of a veteran coach as a number two, a man who's never had much success as a number one. And so things were always going to, uh, you know, the pressure was always going to intensify against him if Saint-Étienne didn't get off to a good start. It's been a terrible start for them. And that result yesterday is probably just going to delay the inevitable, even if he is still there come the derby. Yeah, it's it's right that in Saint-Étienne seems to be uh, very complicated because with these two presidents, we have their own choice, their own point of view. And uh, for Gasset was a, a good choice, but uh, uh, I remind, it reminds me when they choose the Garcia, the Spanish oh, yeah. uh, coaches, that they wanted to have someone who brings an identity, you know, but they didn't allow him to buy the players he wanted to play with this style. So it would just fail after, I don't know, two or three months, something like that. So it just seems to be the pretty much the same uh, today. It's like, uh, with all my respect to Pranton, it's like he always being an assistant and I must be like something like 63, 64. Or, Although Gasset was as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he but, was... you know, Gasset was the assistant of Laurent Blanc for a long time. So I think he had a, an experience of a, of a high level was much stronger. I, 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 it seems like it's just uh, yeah, politics between the two presidents and probably two clans as well in the in the in the club. So it's the, it's if he's fired, I think it's the first the the, the, the mistake of the the president or the people who choose him. This is always the gamble that the whether as a board, um, whether you whether you pull the trigger straight away, you decide that now you know it's it's not worked after two months. We we make a change, or whether you try and give them time now. Obviously, at the top level, there isn't time. Clubs, you know, Lyon particularly, really need to be in the top three. They can't afford to not be there, so they have to they have to act quickly. You would say yeah. Saint-Étienne. It's maybe not quite quite as uh, as urgent as that. I think they're a club who they don't expect to finish in the top three. They would like to be in in a European place come the end of the season, but maybe it's not quite as essential to their model. But um, either way, I think uh, this will be a really fascinating derby uh, come the weekend because. The two clubs are in crisis. Their record of appointing coaches has not been great since Christophe Galtier left. Uh, Joachim mentioned Oscar Garcia. Then they let Julian Sable have a go, even though he didn't have his coaching badges, which he's now taking. Gasset was there to be the experienced backup, and then they needed him to initially get them out of a relegation battle and then qualify them for Europe. Then appointing Pranton. Now where do they go? It seems like Claude Puel is in pole position. I Doubt he'd take the job before the game against Lyon. That's not how you want to start. Oh, although, uh, although, although he's got something that, that will work in his favour, he's hated by Lyon because yeah, it, it, yeah. it ended so badly when he was Lyon manager. So the Saint Etienne fans are. And they like had that. Laurent Batles as part of their backroom team as well, but he's now at Troyes. Uh, he was he was a great player, and I thought maybe he should have been the one that they looked to promote rather than Sable. But uh, Sable has a, a very close relationship with uh, Roland Romayet, one of the two presidents. And it, it was it was a derby that did for Oscar Garcia two years ago, wasn't it? At the Stade Geoffroy Guichard, Saint Etienne lost five nil to yeah. Lyon, if I'm yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And that was I think that was the last uh, the last uh, legs for Oscar Garcia. Just before we move on, did Dave say what? Did he say it correctly there? Right, in, in terms of the accent, because because we got a Frenchman on. Sorry, which what, the word he wasn't twat. listening to me. Yeah, no one listens twat. to me on this program. Yeah, the, the, the team and yeah, yeah cause it's 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 a word that I've had a you know a few a few complaints about in the past. But Dave's accent is <laughs> it's, it's spot on. Saint Etienne just <laughs> just to, to to let people know they're down in nineteenth position. They're second from bottom, um, despite having won. 
Dijon are still bottom. They they got a 2-1 win, their first win of the campaign. Um, it was away to Reims at, at the weekend. So the bottom teams are winning. It's uh, getting a bit compressed in there. In mid-table, Lyon are in 11th, already nine points behind Paris Saint-Germain. Two teams going quite well, going quite well in the uh, in the top six are Nice and uh, Lille. They met at the Alliance Riviera at the weekend and Andy Scott was commentating. And Dolbert might just make it one nil. He has Nice from nowhere. Stealing possession in midfield and breaking forward quickly and Kasper Dolbert gets his second goal in Ligue 1. Nazishi to the right. Luis Arujo, what a goal! A quite brilliant hit from the Brazilian. And Lila back on level terms. Andy, it finished 1-1, a fair, a fair result, would you say, between, between two teams that have got high ambitions this season? Yeah, I really enjoyed this game. Two uh, two good teams. Um, I thought Lille, uh, you know, obviously going away to Nice, making changes, seven changes from the team that played during the week against Strasbourg. They left players like uh, Ikone, uh, Loic Remy and Renato Sanchez on the bench. They showed that they have a bit of depth to their squad and they maybe, maybe should have won this game. Victor Ozimhen, it's actually the first time I've commentated Lille this season. And uh, obviously Ozimhen has, has been fantastic. Dave's covered a lot of their games and, and obviously... Um, six goals in his first seven matches. I was really excited uh, about seeing him and, and he was very disappointing in, in, with his finishing. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's big and powerful. He's, he's tall. He, he caused lots of problems to the two young central defenders for Nice who were without Danchi again. But um, he, he missed one fantastic chance in the second half and Christophe Galtier was quite outspoken after the game and how um, unhappy he was with, with the finishing from his team. Although the goal by Luis Arroja was, was quite brilliant and I think probably the goal of the weekend in Ligue 1. You know, to go to Nice and get a draw is is not a bad result. Um, interesting to see what team he puts out against Chelsea in the Champions League on Wednesday because that becomes a very important game for them. I think um, the signs are at the start of the season that they they look like they're going to have another good campaign in the league. But you know, it would be it would be great if they could do something in Europe because I think after the Ajax defeat, I think it's their last twelve matches now in Europe, going back a number of years that they've not won any of them. So it's about time that they. They did something uh, in in Europe. Oh, Chelsea! Chelsea will be the team to beat, surely. <laughs> Chelsea struggling a, a, a little bit at the moment. Joachim, a quick word about Nice. I want to know what you think about Patrick Vieira. I've been really impressed with him as a as a manager in his second season now at Nice. He was strongly linked to uh, to Leon in the in the summer. Mm. The Leon position might come up. I know that um, Laurent Blanc is also being linked with with Leon at the moment. But do you think? We're looking at a future top top manager in Vieira. Mm, it's hard to say so far. I haven't been impressed by uh, uh, Nice last season. Uh, it's hard to see what kind of identity how he wants his team to play. Um, I think is 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 going to be in the very maybe sometimes too much French tradition of being very pragmatic, you know. But we can see now. With all this money coming from England, thanks guys. He's got more forwards. Now yeah, he's got season. more forwards, so more players. He choose the players, so we we are gonna see. It's the real te- a real test uh, this season, uh, because yeah, so far I can't really see a Vieira touch. Uh, even he's a young he's a young coach. He was in the US. It's different, probably. You know, same uh, issue with Silvino as well. It, it was, but um, yeah. 
I think the bit. Uh, I think I think that's maybe a, a little bit unfair. I mean, obviously, he had fairly limited uh, resources last season with a very young team and with with no striker. I mean, Mario Balotelli was there in the first yeah. half of last they season, finished, didn't score, last and and then nothing in the second half of the season. Yeah. They still finished seventh or eighth, not far away from the European yeah. places, and now they've spent a bit of money, um, and they've made some attacking signings in Casper Dolberg two goals in, in two home games and both of them were really good finishes and I think you know I think he looks like he could be the real deal what's he bringing what's he bringing in like in the game overall is he because he's, he's going to be the target man the one who has to bring mobility as well to the attack yeah I mean he's not he's not a target man he's not a, he's not got the same level of physicality as Balotelli or even you know good comparison on Saturday a play like Ozymen he's a slightly different player maybe a bit well you know he's he's mobile he's a good finisher and um, he's he's not he's not the biggest or strongest, but I think he's a guy who will who will score them. I mean, he's already on course. I think he will he will get ten fifteen goals for them this season, and that could be enough to help Nice you know get into those European places. Because if they had a player like that last season, another ten twelve goals from somewhere, I think they might just have have got there. I, I think he's definitely one to watch, isn't he, Casper Dolberg? I was going. I was. I was thinking that. I was going to say, say got to get the word watching, despite having his watch stolen. That's, that's, an, that's why that's Robbie Thompson's story. not here. Armel Tongi took his digital watch. Is that right? We uh, we've allegedly got, we've got an email coming in from uh, a Nigerian friend, Papa Ib, who says uh, he's happy to see so many Nigerian forwards playing in Liga. Ozzyman is obviously doing well, but who should we be most excited about out of these five? Ozzyman, Samuel Kalu at, at Bordeaux, Henry Onyekuru. And Monaco, Moses Simon at Nantes, and Josh Madger, who was until recently English, but has opted to, to represent Nigeria. Josh Madger playing for Bordeaux. He, he didn't get off the bench against PSG, but he has scored this season. He has shown some promise. Dave, who would you be most excited about? I was really excited about Onyakuru. Every time I've seen him play in the past, he's been excellent, but he hardly plays uh, at Monaco now. Uh, it's got to be Aussie men. And I, I've spoken at length about Aussie men on this uh, podcast before. Uh, Kalu is improving. I think he's still got work to go in terms of his end product. Uh, Moses Simon, part of a, an improving Nantes team, going very well under Christian Gorkouf. Uh, Madja, he's not getting the game minutes at the moment. He did show his scoring prowess when he was at Sunderland, but that was in the English third tier. And it's a big step up to go from a, a club like Sunderland to go to Bordeaux. But he could get playing time. I mean, <laughs> Jimmy Briand, Jimmy, the Newcastle fan, chuckling away to himself. Um, it's Jimmy, for our executive producer Ian Holyman, who is a Sunderland fan. Jimmy Briand looked a little bit, a little bit slow. I know he's he's scored three goals this season, but they need a bit of youth in attack. I'd give Josh Madger a go. Andy, uh, you've you want to come in here? Aussie men, the most exciting. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, like you said, Aussie men was maybe a little bit disappointing in his finishing at the weekend, but he he does look like a very exciting player. Did very well last season. Uh, I mean, Onyekuru too. I mean, Onyekuru I saw um, playing for Monaco, I think, against Nîmes a few weeks ago. And he looked quite good in that game. He was maybe being a little bit unfortunate because I think Everton were never able to get a work permit to, 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 to let him play in, in English football. He certainly looks like he has a lot of potential. But yeah, if, if I were a Nigerian fan, I'd be excited about all these players. Well, Onyekuru, his problem is going to be getting game time. Monaco are, are flying now, having struggled so badly in the first six matches. They've won two in the space of... Uh, of a few days and at the weekend they beat uh, Mets 4-1 with uh, Slimani grabbing breast. a breast 4-1 thank you thank you Andrew uh, Slimani grabbing a couple of goals Ben Yedder on on target as well so we've talked about them a lot while they're in crisis I think it's only fair that we mention that they have got two wins and we'll give more analysis to Leonardo Jardim's uh, 
resurgent team if they keep that revival going. We're going to talk about Marseille now, though. Marseille, who uh, were held again, another draw. They went on that good run of uh, three wins in a row, but they're they're stuttering again. They could only draw at home against Ren. Andy Scott, no, David Crossan saw this one for us. De Silva on the rampage. De Silva's cross is a very good one. And Ren are in front through Mbignon, who missed a penalty at Nantes in midweek. Saar. Oh, it's in. The equaliser for Marseille. Great delivery by Buna Saren. It's a goal for Duye Chaletasa. Dave, what was it like at the Orange Velodrome last night? We know those supporters are, are very demanding. Do you feel they're still behind Andre Villas-Boas? And how, how was the game? Yeah, I do feel that they're behind Andre Villas-Boas. The game itself was drab until the last 10 minutes when there was a flurry of chances. Up until then, the most impressive thing was the TIFO that the Marseille fans had to celebrate the memory of Gunnar Andersson, who tragically died at the age of 41, 50 years ago. Their record goal scorer, 185 goals in eight seasons. How they could do with a player like him. <laughs> uh, Dario Benedetto was very greedy in the last 10 minutes last night, trying shots from everywhere when he had players better placed around him. What he does miss, though, is having better players around him because Payet was in the second game of a four-match ban after his words to the referee against Montpellier when he got a red card and Tovan is a long-term injury absentee and they don't have a lot of inspiration uh, in their midfield and attack when those two aren't there in my view. Uh, Valentin Rongier made his first start after his joker move from Nantes where he was the captain. He didn't do much. Um, Germain worked hard as usual but um, a draw was a fair result. It wasn't particularly exciting. A joker move is different to a joke of a move. A joker move because they didn't complete it in time for the end of the summer transfer window, but you're allowed to sign one play after. I don't know if Valentin Rangier is a joker or not, really, but officially in French terms, as a footballer, he's a, a joker. A joker where I come from is, is something very different. Let's not get into it. But it's, not, it's not a positive thing. <laughs> Joachim, are Marseille still the biggest football club in France? Of course not. <laughs> you know that the problem is that uh, Marseille. You know, it's the the, 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 your, the this guy in who went out with the nicest girl at college in 1993, and since that nothing happened in his life. You know, <laughs> you're talking about yourself again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marseille winning the Champions League in 1993. <laughs> they have won nine league titles. Legitimately, won won nine league titles. Most recently in in 2010, and they do have. I mean, it's 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 a wonderful region, isn't it, for for football? I mean, they have huge yeah, passion. No M is, yeah, is everything. Pa- passion, passion. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wish you know, as a Paris Saint Germain fan, I just want the classic with Paris Saint Germain first or second with the the two teams. You know, very you know close together. You know? I didn't. I didn't know you were. Paris, it, you're, you're, you're a Paris Saint Germain fan. I wouldn't have invited you. <laughs> and so, uh, but it didn't happen for quite a long time now. You know, I like when Marseille is uh, on the top with uh, Paris Saint Germain. Paris beats Marseille, but uh, unfortunately, you know, it's like a lack of rivalry. Uh, yeah, it's not they that good. To, yeah. I've, I've got but a stat to back up Joachim's point there because Ren, after Paris Saint Germain, are the most successful team at the Velodrome this decade. That PSG have won five times there. Ren mm-hmm. have won four times there. And had some draws as well, yeah. but I think you know uh, I, you're right. Like uh, Benedetto is is a special player, 
in his attitude. He's, he's got this uh, intensity. I don't know if it's cultural, if it's Argentina or just himself. But when he's on the pitch, you can see that it's, it's much more intense than the rest of the players around him. Unfortunately, Tova and, and, and Payet are not playing to give him balls. But uh, I think that uh, they, they, I don't see a team with uh, weaker than the, the team that uh, Bielsa had when he arrived. You know, at that time, we'd say, oh, well, you know, Gignac was you great. Don't, you don't think the team no, is No, I don't. Weak, I think that they've okay. got the potential. They've got, you know, it's questionable. You can talk about Amavi or, you know... The, Mavi was getting booed, wasn't he? Yeah. As I say, they've got yeah. a thin yeah. squad and they really do have a thin yeah. squad. But let's re remember when they... I think they won six at the start of the season in 2012 under Ellie Bope. And Bope basically had a 12-man squad and ended up playing a delivery driver at centre-forward <laughs> off the bench in Fabrice Apruzès. True. And he didn't deliver, did he, Fabrice? No. He had a big shirt, though. <laughs> and Steve, Steve Mandanda was very good again uh, last night. He's, he's back in form, isn't he? So uh, another man who's a survivor from that team back in 2012. Yeah. So I wonder if he might it's get a, new, a recall to a the new fans. A new lean Steve Mandanda, who's mm. uh, gone on a, a big health kick, big diet over the summer. And he is, he is looking better. Great double save from Unu last night. Mm. And uh, the way he got up to make the second save, uh, this does relate to his weight loss and how he looks very fit now. I don't think he'd have reacted that quickly, even last season. Uh, maybe he's angling for a France recall because he's behind Ariola and Menon in the pecking order now as back up to Loris. Ariola who's not playing, so that's, that's definitely a, a potential opening for him. Ren going going quite well. That's got to be a, a good result for for them, although they were beaten uh, away to Nantes uh, in 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 midweek. Um, yeah, they they started the season with three wins in a row, and uh, Julian Stefan, whose dad Guy was watching last night. Um, Didier Deschamps' assistant with France, went back to five at the back, which is the system that did so well at the start of the season. They've actually not won in five now, though, mm. in the league. And uh, dealing with the Europa League is, again, going to be a problem for them. They've got to go to Lazio on Thursday. He's trying to bed in new players because when you lose Andre, who was vital to them, Saar, Ben Arthur, that's your whole style of play has to change. And it's still not quite there. Mm. Now, Joachim, just in case you don't know this, we like to have a good girl. Now, I don't need to explain to you what that means. We, you know, living in Paris, um, having to contend with the, the bouchons, the, the traffic jams and all, all the metro. And, you know, we've all got busy, busy lives watching Ligue 1. We need to let off some steam. And I, I believe that Dave has a, has a little rant for us uh, this morning. Oh, merde. Quelle bande de chèvres. C'est mon coup de gueule. Yeah, my coup de gueule relates to what Neymar said after the match against Bordeaux at the weekend. And I'm going to have to read the quote first before I explain why I think this is so bad. He said, describing his relationship with the supporters, it's like when you're in a relationship with your girlfriend. When things aren't going well between you, you don't speak to each other. But with a lot of love and cuddles, everything gets back in order. Now, I sort of understand where he's coming from with this, but uh, uh, if Joachim thought that Marseille had the prettiest girl in 1993, it seems like Neymar thought he had the prettiest girl in 2017 before he came to Paris Saint-Germain. He's been making eyes at Barcelona all summer. And usually when you're in a relationship, you don't try to get out of it by encouraging your current girlfriend to accept two or three men plus a cash adjustment in order for you to go back to your former girlfriend, do you? It's a really weird way to try and explain what's going on with his situation. No, but if you've got like this really like good-looking, amazing girl and she doesn't accept you, is it that bad to then, to then try and make up with the current one? <laughs> I'm not sure where you're going with this now. No, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I was pleased that at last he said something positive 
um, towards the supporters. And he did say, I'm a pack, you know, which is what I'd been waiting to hear since the beginning of the season or since his move fell through. Um, I'm a PSG player and I'm going to fight for, for PSG. He did, he did yeah, say Yeah, he that. went further than that. He said, I'm going to give my life on the field in order for yeah. PSG to be successful. And uh, I, a lot of things are stage managed in modern football, which is something that old traditionalists is probably not the word that most people would use to describe us but I'm going to use traditionalists we don't necessarily like so when you see Mbappe and Neymar on social media and they look really happy to be together and they make sure that they're in the photos celebrating the goals together that's all important in terms of the image both of Paris Saint-Germain and those two players to show that Neymar is back and fully integrated and he's, let's remember he scored three winners in 1-0 victories in his last four outings as well. So he's picked up a lot of points for the team while they've had their other attackers out. Yeah, and he's looking sharp. He's looking, he, uh, he gave Koscielny a, a few difficulties at, at, at the weekend. Now, before we sign off, we are going to uh, have our traditional bon voyage. It's, it's a little bit um, difficult to talk about travel given the difficulties uh, Andy Scott and myself in particular had this morning. But we're going to look ahead to next weekend and uh, see where we fancy going. Well, I'm most definitely going to be heading to the Stade Rofwagishar on uh, on Sunday. Perhaps my favourite fixture uh, of the French calendar these days. It was a terrific game last year. Lyon won it in the dying seconds with a with a Dembele header, and the Rofwagishar is just uh, such a an incredible atmosphere, um, probably one of the, uh, the hottest atmospheres in uh, in Europe. And when Leon are in town, when Leon are vulnerable, well, sparks will fly, and I will be there. Any any other suggestions for the for the coming weekend? Uh, based on your problems this morning, Andy and Matt, so I'm going to go to the Parc des Princes because uh, Andy very kindly said we're in a slightly civilized part of the city here, and just over the river there's the Parc des Princes. I can walk there if I have to. I don't need to rely on the public transport. I'll probably cycle though. It's the, PSG against Angers, game, yeah. and it's the top two meeting First each other. First against second, yeah, yeah. incidentally. <laughs> well, I, I'd, I'd go to um, Montpellier. It took me about as long to get to Montpellier as it took me to get here this morning from uh, from one side of Paris to the other. Montpellier against Monaco. Monaco uh, beginning to look the part, and uh, I'm intrigued to see if Montpellier can sort themselves out because I commentated their game yesterday and was very disappointed with the way they played against Strasbourg. So let's see if they can sort themselves out. That's yeah, one of my favourite towns, Montpellier. Fantastic. Beautiful place, yeah. Joachim, I understand you're, you're, you're heading off to Turkey and you might even take in Galatasaray PSG, but what about next weekend? Do you mind if I take the train with you and I uh, go no. to Saint-Etienne? No, not at all. Okay, cool. <laughs> or just to come and see Saint-Etienne as well? <laughs> yeah, we'll be with you and uh, watch a nice game in That's a nice. great ambience, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a solid choice and I think anybody who is in France next weekend, they need to get to the Joffre Guichard to, to see this derby so much uh, hanging on it that's uh, just about all we've got time for on Le Bourgeois thank you very much for joining us don't forget the emails league1podcast at gmail.com that's league1 the number podcast at gmail.com or hashtag Le Bourgeois on Twitter um, it's uh, time to say goodbye so from David Cross Andy Scott and uh, an excellent debutant Joachim Barbier it is uh, au revoir et à bientôt we'll see you again next week bye 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 bye